0: Luke chapter 19, please, this morning. Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, let's start reading in verse number 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why are you loosing it, thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples." But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you. And your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Well, Lord, we thank you for this passage of scripture. We thank you, Lord, for the event that it records. We thank you for the significance of it. But we pray now, Father, that you would speak to us personally about it. Help us, Lord, to see the application to our own lives. And that application may differ depending on where people are in their walk with you. And so I pray today that, Lord, you'll open each heart. Let there be no distraction. Let there be nothing, Father, that would hinder us. Fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord, to preach today as you would have it done. And uh, may I be accurate and clear. And I pray, Lord, for uh, the Holy Spirit to give us all understanding. And help us, Lord, to be uh, hearers today and responders today. And so we give this time to you, Lord. We believe in the Holy Spirit this morning, and we pray uh, for his guidance. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are now in the midst of Holy Week. Holy Week, the last seven days leading up to the cross and the resurrection, the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. Traditionally, we believe that the last week of Jesus' life looked like this. On Sunday, today, the first Palm Sunday, was the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. On Monday, we see Jesus entering the temple and cleansing the temple. On Tuesday, we see controversies with the Jewish leaders. And then on Wednesday, there's not a whole lot said about what happened on Wednesday. It was apparently a quiet day. But Thursday, we have the preparation for the Passover Friday. We have the trial and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Saturday, Jesus is resting in the tomb. And Sunday, Jesus is raised from the dead. Well, today we're remembering and pondering that first day. And, and just as several have said this morning, Amy's mentioned it, others. And I, maybe I said it earlier, I don't know. But this is one of my favorite days in all of the church here. I just love the, the meaning of Palm Sunday. I just, I just enjoy the day. And that first Palm Sunday, think back to it. Put yourself there Sit. Shoot yourself back to a time machine and stand there and, and imagine what it must have been like. It must have been an amazing and an interesting day. Had you been there in Jerusalem that day, you might have heard some sort of commotion coming from up on the Mount of Olives. I would expect that you would have heard it because it must have been quite a scene. And you might have looked out from the walls of Jerusalem across to the Mount of Olives and you might have asked, what, What's going on over there? Because something was. Something was going on. Something was happening. On the Mount of Olives that day. See, Jesus was riding down the side of the Mount of Wall of, 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 of the Hill, the west side of the hill, toward the city. Toward the city. He was being praised by the people and by the crowd as their Messiah and their king. People were shouting for joy. People were waving palm branches. People were placing them in the road in front of him and their garments strewn in the path before them. Now if you're An observant person this morning, you no doubt notice that in the gospel account we chose this morning, there's no mention of palm leaves. Did you notice that? Luke just happens to be the only one of the four who doesn't mention the fact that they used palm leaves. But we are accurate in our use of palm leaves because the other three all do mention the fact that he used palm leaves. But there's something, something that was happening on the Mount of Olives. Jesus, the Messiah, was openly now, openly declaring himself to be their king. And he was saying to his people, accept me, and I will bring the kingdom. Of course, we know that didn't happen. Of course, we know that they rejected him. As Rick Warren said recently, it only took five days for Hosanna to become, crucify him. And we'll talk about that more on Friday night during our Good Friday service. The sad truth about the rejection and, and the Good Friday. But today I want us to ponder just the events here. I want us to just think about what took place on this day in this particular scene. And I want us to notice that there was four different types of people that were involved here. And four different, I think, reminders that we get from each of them. And we can apply to our lives from what was happening that day. First of all, look at verse number 32. Verse number 32. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. They found it, just as he had said to them. I think there's a reminder in that verse to his followers. To his followers. And of course they were the principal component, I think, that was making all the racket that day. The majority of the noise, the majority of the praise was coming from his followers, his disciples. And I don't know about you, but it might might seem like a minor detail of the story. The simple truth of verse number 32 there, that when they went, they found it exactly as he said it would be. But I don't think it's minor at all. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful reminder to us that when Jesus says, what Jesus says we'll find, that's exactly what we find. When we do what Jesus says, we find things exactly as he said we would find them. He taught them the same lesson a little bit later in the week. In chapter 22, they were told to go and make preparation at the upper room for the Passover. A very similar thing occurred there. So they went and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. Now, not everybody would this, would this reminder have applied to. Not everybody would have found this to be true. It was his followers, those specifically who were obeying him. That's the ones who found this to be true. The ones who were following closest to Jesus. They're the ones who see that to be true the most often. Think, think about Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were the ones who were privileged to be on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Peter, James, and John were the ones who were privileged to... Be with him on Gethsemane and pray with him there. They were his followers and following closer than the others. And they were the ones who most often saw that when we do what Jesus says, we find out he means exactly what he says. We can trust him. We can trust him. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. You know, I'm, uh, I'm almost 55 years old. I know I don't look anywhere near that old, but I am. Almost 35 years old. And I've been saved for 43 years. And I can tell you that in that 43 years of my life, he has never let me down. I have let him down, but he has never let me down. The hymn writer said, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. That's true. And I think that's the lesson here. I have always found things to be just as he said they would be. And so if there's a reminder for us as followers of Christ this morning, and if you're here this morning, and I hope all of you are followers of Christ, if you are, then you need to see this reminder here today. We can trust him. You will always find that what he said is true. First Kings chapter 8 says, Blessed be the Lord, not one word has failed of all his good promise which he spoke. Ezekiel chapter 12 says, I am the Lord, I speak, and the word which I speak will come to pass. It will no more be postponed. Jesus said in chapter 21 of Luke, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And so what's our first reminder for us this morning? It's for those of us who are following Christ. It's a wonderful, wonderful reminder that we can trust him. That when we do what Jesus asked, we find things just as he said. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. Let's look at another one. Look at verse 38. Verse 38. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I see here a reminder to the onlookers. There were some in that crowd that day who were not followers of Christ, certainly. There would have been more than disciples there. There would have been some who were simply looking on and who probably were scratching their head and wondering what in the world is going on here. They just happened to be onlookers, looking out their windows, standing in the fields, watching as this amazing procession went by. And those who were onlookers would no doubt have wondered at the declaration they were hearing. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, it's kind of like that today, isn't it? You know, there's a lot of people today who <laughs> standing on the outside looking in at Christianity I think we are absolute loons. You know that, right? They think that we're completely nuts. We stand up here and we say that we believe that Jesus is the King. And they look at us like we're crazy. We say, we, we believe we, we serve a risen Savior. Jesus is alive. And they go, what? Come on, the resurrection. You can't possibly believe that. You've probably had people say that to you. When we say we believe that He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and is going to rule all forever, they wonder. But you see, the thing is, it was not fiction that was proclaimed that day It was fact. When they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, it wasn't just a story, it was the truth. And the onlookers heard it. And so it's a vital reminder to all this morning who might be on the outside looking in, he is the king. He is the king, and he does come in the name of the Lord. People questioned it then just as they questioned it today. Almost immediately after this particular thing took place, he found himself being questioned. In chapter 20, the first two verses, we see that it happened on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders confronted him and spoke to him saying, tell us by what authority are you doing these things? Or who is he who gave you this authority? And so they were the naysayers then. But Jesus was always clear. Not only here as he rode into the city, but all throughout his ministry, he had been proclaiming himself to be king. Sometimes he even proclaimed himself more than that. John chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you before Abraham was, I am. He didn't stop at declaring himself to be king. He was the king. The king. Isaiah had prophesied of the increase of the of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jeremiah had prophesied it. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And so to the onlookers, maybe those who are wondering, Maybe there's some of those in the room this morning. Maybe there's someone here who has never believed. Someone who has never stepped out. Someone who has never placed their faith and trust in Jesus. Never become a follower of the king. Maybe you're one who's always been wondering. And always on the outside looking in. Well, you need to hear the crowd today. He is the king. And he comes in the name of the Lord. There's a third reminder here. It's in verse number 40. Actually, let's start reading in verse number 39. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I think there's a a reminder here to the disapprovers. The disapprovers. You know, there were some in that crowd. Pharisees. Just like there's some in every crowd who want to silence the followers of Jesus. Who would just assume we'd be quiet and go away. Our world is full of them on this Palm Sunday just like it was full of them on that Palm Sunday. Those who wish that we would just stop. America, which used to be a nation founded on Christian principles, now at every turn, at every opportunity it can tries to silence Christians. Oh, but the wonderful words of Jesus here that Trudy tried to steal from me earlier. The wonderful (laughs) words of Jesus that if these would be silent, the stones would cry out. Are a reminder to us, are they not, that nothing is going to stop the message of Christianity? Nothing is ever going to stop the gospel. Nobody, no thing, no time, no way. It's going to go forward. You know, I love the, I love the story of the well-known atheist. And I, as I was trying to prepare for this message, I didn't have time to look this guy up. Somebody probably knows his name. Phil probably knows who I'm talking about. I can't remember his name. He was a well-known atheist who one time proclaimed that 100 years after his death, He believed that Christianity would be gone from the earth. Do you remember the guy's name? Yeah, I can't remember it either. Some of you have probably heard that. And you know what happened 100 years after his death? Within 100 years after his death, Christianity was not only thriving on the face of this earth, but the house that he had lived in was being used by one of the Bible societies to produce Bibles. (laughs) As far as I know, it might still be. Nothing's going to stop it. Nothing's going to stop it. In spite of their best efforts, the enemies of Christ have never been able to stop his message his truth is marching on if you're one of the ones like the pharisees that day who's thinking to yourself just be quiet i don't want to hear this message anymore you're fooling yourself because the message will never be silent jesus said it'll be preached even as trudy said if the rocks have to preach it so a reminder to the disapprovers and finally one last one is a reminder to the rejecters To the rejectors, You know in the crowd on that first Palm Sunday. There were some who just simply rejected the message. They rejected the fact that he was their king. They didn't want to hear anything about it. And it was to them that Jesus spoke. Verses 41 through 44. Notice these verses again. Verse 41. As he drew near he saw the city and wept over it saying. If you had known. Even you. Especially in this your day. The things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you. When your enemies will build an embankment around you. Surround you. Close you in on every side. And level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because you did not know. The time of your visitation. Those verses are a reminder are they not. Of the cost of rejection. The cost of rejecting your king. Connie also tried to steal some of my thunder this morning by telling about our trip to Israel, because I was going to do that now. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, you did that too. Well, as she has already so eloquently told you, last year we did have the opportunity to travel to Israel, to the holy land. And you know what? We stood in the very spot where these events took place. Lord willing, if we're not in heaven yet, Or if the politics of the world allow, we're going back to Israel in 2014 and would encourage you to join us because you too could stand in the very place where these things took place. But you know, it's kind of sad because when we stood there, we did not see what Jesus saw on this day. Imagine for a minute, if you will, what Jesus did see. The Bible tells me here that he had started in Bethany. Bethany was a city about two miles to the west of Jerusalem, just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. He had started there, and he had made his way up the Mount of Olives on the eastern side, crested the Mount of Olives, come over, and was heading down the western side of the Mount of Olives toward the city. He probably would have entered through the eastern gate. Probably. Alfred Edersheim points out that that gate was the principal entrance into the temple. And so he probably would have gone in there. And so if you think about what he was doing, as he came up that hill, it says that as he was approaching the top of that hill, coming over the top of the hill, that's when the noise began. And then as he crested the hill, it said he could see the city. And he wept, And he wept. What he would have seen as he crested that hill and it's not very far away, what he would have seen is the magnificent temple that was there. What we saw was the Dome of the Rock, the mosque which sits in its place, which is nothing in comparison by size or grandeur to what the temple would have been. When you see a model of the two uh, together, the temple would have been magnificent. He would have come over the hill and he would have seen that. He would have seen the eastern gate with its massive bronze doors, we're told, swung open allow entry into the city. It would have been a tremendous sight, and we would have thought, would we not, that he would have been awestruck. We would have thought that he would have smiled. We would have thought that he would have thought it was beautiful, but he wept. He wept. Why would he weep? Warren Wiersbe has a good set of comments on this. He says, no matter where Jesus looked, he found cause for weeping. If he looked back, he saw how the nation had wasted its opportunities and been ignorant of their time of visitation. If he looked within, he saw spiritual ignorance and blindness in the hearts of the people. They should have known who he was. For God had given them his word and sent his messengers to prepare the way. If he looked around, Jesus saw religious activity that had accomplished very little. The temple had become a den of thieves. The religious leaders were out to kill him. The city was filled with pilgrims celebrating a festival, but the hearts of the people were heavy with sin and life's burdens. And if he looked ahead... He wept as he saw the terrible judgment that was coming to the nation, the city, and the temple. In A.D. 70, the Romans would come, and after a siege of 143 days, they would kill 600,000 Jews, take thousands more captive, and then destroy the temple and the city. Why did all of it happen? Because the people did not know that God had visited them. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They said, we will not have this man to reign over us. Why would he? Another man said it like this. He said, Jesus was praised by an adoring multitude surrounded by this strong and beautiful city. Everything looked positive, And yet he knew that within a week he would be crucified there. And he also knew that in 40 years, Jerusalem would be destroyed. You see, when we were in Jerusalem, when we were in the Holy Land, we stood on the temple mount and we looked to the east at the Mount of Olives. Where we were looking is the exact spot, somewhere right there, where he would have come across on that donkey and with the crowd. We were looking right at the very place where he would have come across weeping at the city. We also had the opportunity to stand on the Mount of Olives and look back the other way and to look back toward the very spot where Jesus' tear-filled eyes We're looking, but see, here's the thing. We didn't see what Jesus saw. We saw no temple for it's gone. We saw the Eastern Gate or what's left of it. It's all bricked up, closed. Few of it today would call it the gate beautiful, that they used to call it. And the ground between the Mount of Olives and the city wall is a graveyard. Graves from the top of the hill right up to the wall. What a picture, as you stand there and look at it, of the fulfillment of verses 41 through 44. There is a cost to rejecting the king. A reminder to those who would reject. Well, something was happening on the Mount of Olives, wasn't it? And in that momentous event, there were reminders for every type of person. There were reminders to his followers. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, be reminded you can trust him. You can trust him. When you do as he asks, he'll always do as he said. There was a reminder to the onlookers, whether you want to admit it or not. If you're one who's just not really interested in this stuff, whether you want to admit it or not, he is the king. And as Amy pointed out, every knee will bow one of these days to our Lord. There was a reminder to the disapprovers, the king cannot be stopped, the kingdom will not be stopped, the message will go on, even if the stones have to cry it out. But finally, and maybe most importantly, there was a message, a reminder, to the rejecters. There is a cost in rejecting your king. You know, because he was rejected as king on that first Palm Sunday, he went away for a while. He's now seated on the right hand of the Father. One of these days, he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to set up his kingdom. And when he comes back next time, he's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. And when he comes back that next time, he's going to welcome those who are his followers. And we're going to find out that his promises about eternal life and and peace on earth and and, and no more tears and all of those things. The lion uh, laying down with the lamb and the swords being beaten into plowshares and all of that are going to become But he's also going, to when he comes back, those who are rejectors are going to be cast into everlasting darkness, into hell, into an eternal separation from him. Because they will find that rejecting the king comes at great cost. And so I ask you this morning, which one are you? You're one or the other. There's no middle ground. You're either a follower or you're a rejector. Which one are you? I, I shared this verse from this song one time before. I, I think I might have even done it on a Palm Sunday one time before. But it it's it's a, it's, a, it's a passage from a song that really speaks to me. And believe it or not, it's from Beethoven's Last Night by the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Where's, uh, where's Beth? She ought to like that. It's a song in that sung by a fellow by the name of Mephistopheles. And Mephistopheles is talking about these very things. He's talking about the fact that so many deny and reject the truth about their coming appointment with God, their coming appointment with death. And he says this. He says, all of your life now you have denied that there'd be a time when you'd ever die. Still, it's been rumored, this thing must be. And now you claim you are not prepared. So much to do, you cannot be spared. Still, your entreaties' death will not hear. The graveyard is filled with important men who could not be spared, but were in the end. And so I whisper now in your ear. Rejecting the truth does not change it. Denying the truth does not change it. The king is coming. And whether you're ready or not, the king is coming. Something is happening on the Mount of Olives. Your king is coming. And the question this morning is, will you accept or will you reject